I heard the story of a pastor who had been called to a rather small church. It had not been a good experience either for the pastor or the people. He didn't like them. They didn't like him. So after he had been there for two years, another church called him at the end of the service on Sunday morning. He was going to resign, and so he stood before the people and said, Two years ago, Jesus sent me here to be your pastor. And now Jesus is leading me away to pastor another church. And the people all began to sing, What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Today we return in our study to First Peter, and the focus of our verses today basically is on the pastor. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it isn't that easy to be a pastor, and one of the reasons for that is because everyone knows your job better than you do. It's sort of like being the football coach at the University of South Carolina. I read a disturbing article recently that said 70% of pastors fight depression. 55% are so discouraged they would leave the ministry if they could. Eighty percent of seminary and Bible school graduates who enter ministry leave within five years. Eighty percent of pastors' wives wish their spouse would choose another profession. Eighty percent of pastors' adult children surveyed sought professional help for depression. I don't dispute that article. I know a lot of pastors who are not happy in the ministry. However, that is not my story. If I had a thousand lives to live, I would want to live each one of them as a pastor. It is the most fulfilling, most rewarding life, I believe, that anyone could have. If I could choose to pastor any church in the world, I would want to pastor this church. I believe that First Baptist Columbia is a unique church with wonderful people, and I am incredibly honored to be the pastor of this church. Having said that, we'll look at Peter's instruction in First Peter chapter 5, picking up where we left off two or three months ago, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the first thing the pastor has to understand is that the church belongs to Jesus. He is the head of the church, according to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, then, if that is true, if the church actually belongs to the Lord, then we are simply working for him. And it is our responsibility then, and it is necessary, if that is true, that the pastor has a relationship with Christ, who is the head of the church. 
Now, Peter had such a relationship. He describes it there in verse number 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, as Peter describes his relationship with Christ, he said, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, you recall that when Jesus announced that he was going to suffer, that Simon Peter rejected that idea. In fact, in Matthew 16, the Bible says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So when Jesus announced that he was going to suffer, Simon Peter's response was, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. But now then later we come to this passage of Scripture, and the prophecies has been, have been fulfilled. And Simon Peter says, I am a witness of his sufferings. He saw Jesus beaten in Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fist, and others slapped him. Simon Peter saw that. He saw his Savior, he saw his Lord as he was beaten. The Bible says that his face was slapped, that his beard was plucked, and that people spat in his face. Peter said, I saw that. He heard the blasphemous words that were directed towards his Lord in Matthew 27, verses 39 and 40. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Peter heard that. He heard his Savior being blasphemed, being ridiculed because of the prophecies that he had given. He saw Jesus when he was arrested. Of course, it was at that time that Simon Peter denied knowing the Lord. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw him placed on the cross and the nails driven through his hands and through his feet, the crown of thorns that was on his brow. He saw him die. He said, I, I was a witness of his suffering. That was the relationship that Peter had. I am a witness of his sufferings. I saw that. But then he goes on and says that I am also a partaker of his glory. Now then, this has to be a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And you recall in that story that there on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses appeared to Jesus, and the glory of God rested on him. Oh, it was a, it was a wonderful display of the majesty of the Lord Jesus. And Simon Peter responded to that in typical fashion. In Matthew 17, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know what? That's the thing I like about Simon Peter. He was impulsive. He stuck his foot in his mouth. He talked when he should have been silent. Now, here he is, and the glory of God is resting on Jesus. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to think about it, but he's impressed. And he said, Lord, we ought to do something. He said, I'll build a tabernacle for you. If you'd like for me to build a tabernacle. And then the Lord said, well, you know, why don't you just hush and listen for a while? But that was Peter. 
He said, I'm a witness of his sufferings, and I, I saw his glory. And he shepherded the flock in verse number 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. He must have been thinking of John chapter 21 there. And you recall in that passage of Scripture, after the denial of Peter, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. He said, well, then shepherd my flock. He uses three different terms here to refer to the pastor. Herschel Hobbes said he believes that all three terms refers to the same office. First of all, as elder in verse 1, therefore I exhort the elders among you. The Greek word is presbyteros. Vine said the term is used in the Bible to refer to age or a position of responsibility. And so when it refers to the elder, it is normally referring to wisdom or a wise counselor. And so he refers to the pastor as an elder. He calls him a shepherd in verse number two, shepherd the flock of God. The Greek word is poimeian. And Vines wrote that this term is used metaphorically of Christian pastors, that the pastor is a shepherd. Now, what does the shepherd do? Well, the shepherd is to feed the flock, not to chew for them, but to feed the flock. Now, what is it that we are to feed the flock? The Word of God. That is what we are to feed the flock. So he says that the shepherd is to feed the sheep. In Psalm chapter 23, when the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, and then he goes on to say, And he makes me to lie down in green pastures, green pastures where that's where the sheep would graze. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so that's a part of it. When he says that the pastor is to be the shepherd, it means that he is to feed the flock and he is to lead the sheep. Psalm 23, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. The third word that he uses is oversight in verse number 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And the Greek word there is episkopos. The English translation is bishop. So he describes then our responsibility as a pastor. He says that the pastor is an elder. He is to be a wise counselor. He is a bishop. He is to be an administrator. He is a shepherd. He is to preach and teach the Word of God. And the interesting thing to me is that all three of these words were used by Luke in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So Simon Peter is saying that as a pastor, Jesus is the head of the church and I have a relationship to him. My relationship is that I am a witness of his suffering. I have seen his glory and I've shepherded the flock. Now, folks, we also must have a relationship with Christ. In my case, the relationship came at my conversion in vacation Bible school. I was brought up in a Christian home, and therefore it was very natural for me to be open to the gospel. And as a child in vacation Bible school, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Now then, 
It begins with conversion, but then we are called by God in the service. And it is extremely important that the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the deacon, the person in a position of leadership has a call from God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 4, it says, No one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God. It's important to be called. Moses was called at the burning bush. God said to him as he met him there, I want you to be the one to deliver my people from bondage. Now Moses resisted, you recall. He said, I'm not a good speaker, and why should Pharaoh listen to anything that I say? But God called him. See, that was the key to it. God called him. He called Jeremiah to be a prophet, and Jeremiah resisted. Jeremiah said, Lord, I am too young and too inexperienced to be a prophet. But the key was he was called. God had called him. That's the qualification to be called of God. The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus when he met the Lord and was called to service. Now, an interesting word in verse number 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Allotted is an interesting Greek word. In fact, I was reading this morning in Proverbs 16:33, says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So decisions were made with dice or with a lot, and that is what the word there means. Now, you recall in Matthew 27:35 when Jesus was being crucified, the Bible says, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. So they decided which garments the soldiers were going to get. How? By casting lots. The word also is used to refer to an office that is allotted to someone or assigned to someone. Now, after Judas betrayed the Lord, they had to choose a disciple to replace him. And they did so by lot. The scripture says in Acts one twenty six, And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So it was allotted. It was, it was chosen by lot. It also refers to an inheritance, an inheritance that is gained by lot. In classical Greek, it also referred to land that was given by lot. Barclay wrote, even if we were to go no further than this, it would mean that the office of the eldership and indeed any piece of service offered to us is never earned by any merit of our own, but always allotted to us by God. So Peter here is saying that we have been called of God, converted by God, called by God, and he says we are to continue growing in our relationship to Christ. Paul said, I've not arrived. He was an apostle. I have not arrived. I'd love to learn. I've never understood people that they come to a place when they finish their formal education or whatever it is that they, they stop reading, they stop learning. We ought never to stop learning. We always should be learning, studying, that we might know more. So, he says the head of the church is Christ. Peter had a relationship with Christ because he is the head of the church, and he says that the pastor is to have a relationship to Christ, a growing relationship. Now then he goes from there to describe the responsibilities 
First of all, to shepherd the flock in verse number two, shepherd the flock of God among you. Uh, You know this, the Bible refers to the people of God as being sheep, refers to us as being a flock. That's not a complimentary term. Uh, You know, you can train a, a cat, a dog, a pig, but you can't train a sheep. Sheep are, they're just notorious for wandering off. It doesn't seem that they know where they're going, what they're doing. They will just be eating and wander off a cliff. And uh, so he refers to us as being uh, sheep. You might say, well, you know, that's fine. We'll say, okay, so, so we're your sheep. And res- I don't have a flock. Yes, you do. If you're a parent, you have a flock. It's called your family. If you're a student, you have a flock. It's your class. If you're a neighbor, you have a flock. It's your neighborhood. If you're an officer in the choir, you have a flock. If you're a deacon, you have a flock. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you have a flock. We all have the responsibility of the flock. You say, well, I don't want one. (laughs) Howard Hendricks said, if you can't stand the smell of sheep, you shouldn't be a shepherd. Well, sheep have to have a shepherd to survive and... The church also needs a shepherd. I heard the story of a, of a pastor who resigned his church, and, and uh, he told him that he was leaving, and there was a woman who was especially distraught, and so he went out to comfort her, and, and he said, uh, you know, you're going to be fine. You're, you're, you're going you're to be fine. She said, I just don't know what we're going to do without you. And he said, you're, you're going to be okay. In fact, um, God is going to bring someone to pastor this church who's even better than I am. She cried all the more. He said, well, why are you crying? She said, that's what they told us when you came. <laughs> so the church needs a shepherd. And what does he do? He's to protect the sheep. I remember when God called me to preach, I was talking with Jake Self, who was an associate pastor of the church where I was. And, and Jake said, Wendell, you're going to have to decide if you're going to be a hireling or a pastor. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, if you're a hireling, when the wolf comes, the hireling flees. But if you're a pastor, when the wolf comes, the pastor's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He gives us three examples here in our leadership in verse number three. He says, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Uh, The flock cannot be driven. They must be led. There are many times when I've been in Israel and I've seen shepherd boys out leading the flock. You, You can't drive the flock. You have to lead the flock. For instance, if I say to you that you are to be witnesses, then I lead you by being a witness. If I say to you that you are to be giving, then I lead by being giving. If I say to you that we are to be, that you are to be loving, then I lead by being loving. The minister is to lead, and he is to minister to the people. I, I don't know that I know of any church where the people are better able and more willing to minister to each other than here. I think that's one of the things I love about this church, the way that you minister to each other. Jerry Wilson was telling me recently about being uh, with the stories, Lamar and LaRose, and 
he said they were they were together and LaRose had gone outside and and she was on the phone for a long time and he thought maybe something was wrong and he checked on her and whenever he went out it was on Saturday when he went out to talk to her said she was out there calling the greeters she does it every Saturday that's ministering to your flock that's taking care of the flock now Peter gives a warning here for us in verse number two he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for short of gain, but with eagerness. Three warnings. First of all, not of compulsion. You see, this is not something that you have to do. It's something that is in your heart, something God has placed in your heart. When George Truett was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, there was a businessman who came to him and asked him if he would go to work for him and offered him a very lucrative position. And Dr. Truett says, I have sought and found a pastor's heart. You see, it's not under compulsion. It's something that God has placed in your heart. And not for gain. We don't do what we do because of what we are going to receive, but because of what we are able to give, what we are able to do. George Nye was a dear friend of mine. He was governor of the state of Oklahoma, and we were talking one day, and he said, some want to be elected to an office just to have the office. They don't have any idea as to what they want to do for the people. You see, that's why that you are to be in a position of leadership. If you're in a position of leadership, it's not so people will say, well, there goes a leader. It is so that you might minister to the people. So that you might, it's not that I receive, but that I'm in a position to give. And then he said eagerly. We ought to eagerly embrace our position of leadership as a parent. You ought to be thrilled to death to be a parent. You ought to be excited about being a parent. You say, well, i got some teenagers. What a wonderful opportunity you have. As a deacon, you ought to be excited about being a deacon. As a Sunday school teacher, you ought to be excited about being a Sunday school teacher. And then he says, exercising oversight in verse number 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. You know, there are two extremes in church leadership. There are those pastors who think they are dictators. And then there are those churches who think that pastors to have no authority. Both of them are wrong. Adrian Rogers, who pastored for many years of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, said once, Where there is no head, it's dead. When there's two or more... It's a monster. The pastor is to be among the sheep, but over the sheep to lead. And then he says to be an example in verse number 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. If you have a flock, and you do, you're to be an example. Now, Paul was writing to Titus, and he gave some areas in which we must be examples in leadership. He said, first of all, in your family. He said, if a man be above reproach. Ladies and gentlemen, it won't work if you come to church and you have a position of leadership and then you don't live a godly life at home. And what a tragedy it is that if our children see someone at church and they see someone else at home. We are to be an example to our family of what we profess to believe. And then in our personal lives, they must be convincing. And so Paul wrote in Titus 1-7, the negatives, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. 
And then he gave the positives in Titus 1.8, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. And so we are to be examples, and we also are to be examples in our beliefs. Paul wrote in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now then, I'm going to take a little side trip here and preach a different sermon. Linda was talking with me recently about the sorry state of uh, our country and the dangerous state of our country. And I said, Linda... I agree with you, and when I look at it, I'm going to have to lay much of the blame at the church. Folks, we have had the freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We've just not done it. We have had the freedom to make an impact and a difference in this world by the lives that we live and by the influence that we have. We've just not done it. And largely, I believe, one of the reasons is that we have too many people in the pulpits who don't even believe the Word of God. How in heaven's name can we say to the people, you are to live godly lives if we don't believe the Word that we are proclaiming? That's one of the reasons that I am hopeful and I am prayerful. Young people, listen to me. That God is going to speak to some of you. And He is going to call you into ministry, and you are going to be people of conviction, you're going to be people of courage, and you're going to stand in the pulpits across this land and preach the gospel of Christ without any compromise and with courage that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was distressed this last week. Now, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but so be it. I've got deacons on the front row who protect me. This past week, when I heard Colin Powell talking, and he was talking about running someone running for president, and said, if that person is a Muslim, what difference does it make? Folks, it makes all the difference in the world. You see, the democracy we have, as we understand, comes out of a Judeo-Christian ethic. That's where it comes from. You cannot have democracy as we understand it coming from Islam because it is antithetical to it. And so it makes all the difference in the world. And God help us that we have men and women and especially these young people who have the conviction of Christ and the call of Christ on your life, that you go forth to make a difference in this world. He talks about our responsibility very quickly, the commitment of the church in verse number 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to decide to whom we are committed. Do I want to be approved by man? Is that the reason I do what I do? Or is my commitment to be approved by God? Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? 
Or am I striving to please men? If I am still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Every one of you has to decide, who am I going to please? Am I going to please man? Or am I going to please God? But it is a commitment that has to be made. And if you say, I'm going to please God, then you're going to receive his commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says in verse number four that you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So what does Peter say to the pastor and to those who have flocks? He says the head of the church is Jesus. The people of the church are those who have come to know Jesus by being born again. And the commitment of those people must be to love God and to serve his people. Our Father, we thank you for the instruction that you give us in your word. Lord, thank you that you have given us such incredible opportunity and freedom to share Jesus. Forgive us that we have not done so. And Lord, I pray that you might light a fire in our hearts and our souls, that we might understand how very important it is even now that we have convictions and courage to stand for Christ. Lord, it's especially my prayer today that you would reach out to our young people and that you would call them into ministry. Lord, that they would be people of conviction and courage, that they would make a difference in our world, that they would be salt and light. Father, speak to your people. Touch our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Jesus today, would you give your heart to Him, your life to Him? Would you make that commitment? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.